Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Jillian Murphy, a naturopath, speaker, educator, and coach, and this is Food Freedom Body Love, a podcast I put together to help you make peace with food, body image, and weight so you can kick your all-consuming, exhausting weight control food obsession habits and start living your best, healthiest life. Welcome to Sessions, a new series on the podcast where you get to listen in on one-on-one sessions with me and someone working through their food, weight, nutrition, and body image issues. These are single sessions. I've never worked with these people before, and we're diving into one area of their struggles. These sessions aren't scripted or rehearsed, and we barely even speak before we start working together. So each session is a bit of a surprise for me as much as it is for you. There's something imperfect about opening up a single session like this, so I hope you listen in with compassion, understanding that this is all new for me and those I work with, and that there's immense value in listening to us collaborate and discuss these issues as they come up in the moment. If you enjoy these sessions, please, please, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes and share it with everyone you know, anyone who might benefit. And if you're interested in being on the show, Whether you're an individual working through these issues, a parent struggling to feed a child, or a professional trying to incorporate these concepts into your own work, email me at hello at foodfreedombodylove.com. These have been so fun to record, and I'd like to keep going with them. All right, here we go. Enjoy. I wanted to introduce you just a little bit to this first session before we dive right in the this is an interesting one um because the woman that I'm working with is you know she was just super incredible to work with very open very new to this idea of letting go of a control model when it comes to food and weight and body and moving into a trust model um so really interested and open and intelligent but struggling because she owns a gym and she's in the CrossFit world. And so it's not just about confronting the fears about letting go of control or what's going to happen to her body, but also how it might affect athletic performance and her livelihood. And that's a lot of extra layers. There's extra pressure. Um, is She's a nutritionist as well. So there is pressure to um, be very good at something while in the midst of trying to figure this out for herself. Um, Yeah, so that's it. I just wanted to say that before we get started. It's so interesting to listen to, um, and I just really hope you enjoy. So for me, I, you know, I guess I kind of wear a lot of hats. You know, I'm a a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a CrossFit coach. um, I'm a part owner of said CrossFit gym. Um, I'm also a nutrition coach. Um, I've done kind of the gamut um so back in the day I did Weight Watchers I've done Paleo I've done Whole30 I've done all of those things um most recently I've I've counted macros um and it I'm gonna put it in quotations but it worked really well (laughs) um I got very lean I my youngest son is he'll be two in June Mm -hmm. um and I started counting macros um it would be about a year ago now um, and it, it took effect really quickly. Um, right. and I, I got very lean. 
Um, and that worked really well. But then I, within the past, you know, three, three to five months, probably I, I'm over it, <laughs> like over tracking everything over, you know, it's, it makes my, my family have to wait every night when I'm, we're trying to sit down and eat dinner because I'm trying to create a meal in my fitness pal and do all the things. And, right. and, uh, my husband who's super supportive was, was fine with it, but you could tell like he was not loving the, the having to weigh everything and do all the, the things. Um, and I've been learning more and more about and reading more and more about, you know, intuitive eating and health at every size and, um, all of those pieces. And it's just very intriguing to me. Um, but I guess, you know, with that, I have a lot of fears. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Tell us about the so fears. I, it's, you know, even since quitting tracking macros, I've already, you know, put back on a little bit of weight, um, mostly in my, my stomach area, which is extremely frustrating. Um, but so then when I, I attempt to do the intuitive eating or, um, you know, what, what in my mind, what intuitive eating is, you know, and I, I eat what I want. And then I'm, I feel like that's making me gain weight. Um, and then I read a little bit more about it and it's like, well, intuitive eating isn't necessarily eating what you want. It's more of eating what your body needs and, and all of the, the whole gamut of it that it's just, it's a bit overwhelming. And then I feel, I feel completely frustrated with it because as a nutrition coach, these are things that I am supposed to be helping my clients with. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, a lot of, yes. <laughs> um, you know, and a lot of the things I can help my clients with, but I can't help myself with. And that is hard. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like I should be able to say and do, um, because if I'm telling someone else to do it, then of course I should be doing it too. Right. Um, yeah, I get that. And that's, that's really hard to um, be like, no, it's okay. You know, we'll just, we'll go down this path, but I'll be over here. like <laughs> <laughs> Struggling <laughs> in the corner. Yeah. yeah. Don't mind me. Um, I, you know, and there's, yeah, there's a whole level of, you know, of, what in my head my expectations are of myself or what I think my CrossFit athletes expect of me as, you know, a, a coach and a gym owner that, you know, I should be playing this role and I don't feel like I'm playing that role that mm -hmm. I should be. Mm -hmm. So there's levels. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's so many things in there. There's so many great things for us to talk about. One of the things that I like to always really understand is especially for those that have been nutritionists or are nutritionists who have um, been on plans like paleo and whole 30 and macro mm -hmm. counting and weight watchers. I like to really understand what it, like when did you start getting interested in intuitive eating and how did that come about? Oh gosh. Um, if you remember. Yeah, I think a lot of it actually was, I'm, I'm a big podcast junkie, I guess. Um, and uh, Steph Kudrow, yeah, harder to kill. Um, she was very, very paleo based, um, and I listened to a lot of her podcasts. And she has been transitioning 
or had transitioned, I guess she's now a um, intuitive eating coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a very long time, she, she would eat paleo, but not, you know, the quote unquote paleo, like the specific, you know, you can't eat this, you can't eat that. It was more of a, um, you know, eating for your body, um, and for what your body appreciates and can use appropriately, I guess. And I'm probably verbalizing all of that so wrong compared to what she would, but, um, you know, what, what you hear, <laughs> but I think um, that it was through one of her podcasts that, you know, she initially had started talking about, you know, more eating for, for health as opposed to eating a specific way, um, you know, whether it be counting macros or following a paleo diet or, you know, doing a Whole30. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, just kind of hearing more and actually actively searching more for intuitive eating and what that more entails and what that means, I guess. Yeah. And what do you think, what was so interesting to you at the beginning? Like, what was the thing that made you go like, oh, this is something. I don't know what this is, but I want to Google this. <laughs> um, I think, and honestly, it wasn't right away when I heard about it that it was like, oh, I want to look at this. It was right. like, I got my thing. Like, <laughs> this, this is not a diet. This is a lifestyle. I'm fine. The macro um, counting. Yes. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so then as I was macro counting and doing all these things and my boys are sitting there and watching me and not that they were doing it, although every once in a while they'd be like, Ooh, mom, I want to weigh up my serving. And like, so then I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have girls, but that doesn't mean that they can right. follow this path as well. And I'm like, I want them to be able to stick with their body, you know, and be able to eat what they know they need so then that's really where I was like you know I kind of started talking to my husband like I don't I don't know what else to do but I don't think that I can continue to do this Mm -hmm. so then that's when I really started digging a little bit more into the intuitive eating and um, trying to figure out more what that means and what that means for me right um, right and how I fit that in and you know since then it's been kind of a dabble back and forth like mm, some days I'll weigh something and then some days I'm like mm, I'm not weighing that like so you're just sort of stuck mode. in the transition <laughs> yeah sort of stuck yeah. In, and did you sorry did you just say that you get into rebellious mode a little like do yep. you find yourself doing things like overeating or you know quote unquote we can talk more about this but like binge eating is what people sometimes call it I sometimes call it reactive eating I, I wouldn't, yes, to an extent, like I wouldn't call it binge eating per se. It's not like a, I guess in what, what I would call binge eating in my mind. Um, you know, I don't sit and eat all the cookies and all the things like, I'll just be like, Ooh, I'm not tracking this. So I'm going to put goat cheese on my salad or, <laughs> you know, like, Oh, I'm going to have this extra piece of chocolate, you know, like, because I'm not tracking it per se. Um, so having something that I know I would not have had when I had to track it. Got it. Um, so you're not, you're not actually binge eating or reactive eating. You're just letting go of restriction. That's a nicer way to put it. Yep. And it feels, <laughs> it just, and it feels bad. It feels scary. Scary. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. Like it's, it's almost like, because I know at that point I, I don't necessarily, it's more on top of what I'm already eating. So I know that it, in my mind, it's still too much. Um, and then 
so if I'm doing that all the time, then I'm going to, you know, continue to gain the weight and then I'm going to. Yeah. Well, it's too much according to a plan that's designed to manipulate your body into a small, a size that may be smaller than your body actually needs to be. So we just need to get super clear on that. We have one session, so I'm just going to like jump right in. <laughs> Please and do. Like, you know, it's so I really, I want to talk about that, but I want to get into one more thing before we do, yeah. but just getting really clear on that. Cause I think it's really important in our minds to get super crystal clear on the beliefs that we have, because one of the things that I often say to people when they tell me that they're eating abnormally or they're eating in a way that feels scary, you know, of course we want to break down because sometimes there are some abnormal things happening, especially in this transition from following a plan where the rules are very clear and they're laid out and everything is exact to following a plan where there are no rules. The only rule is to stay in touch with your body. And that is incredibly hard to do in the beginning because it's like, you know, you're a CrossFit trainer. It's a muscle that hasn't been used. And you know what it's like trying to recruit a muscle that hasn't been used in a long time. You can't feel yeah. it at first, right? Yeah. Um, right. So it's a tricky transition because you're having to do a little bit of faking it till you make it. Or, or have a little bit of faith. So, but before we totally get into actionable step, I want to really understand your understanding of what intuitive eating is. So, <laughs> so do you want to like lay that out? Like what, what you've observed about what intuitive eating is and how you're trying to sort of implement it at the moment. So what I initially thought intuitive eating was, um, was, oh, I want a piece of chocolate. I'm going to eat the chocolate or I'm going to eat it all of the things um you know whatever strikes me at that moment I'm going to eat all of it um what I've kind of now circled into I guess as I as I try and absorb more um now my understanding of intuitive eating is more of kind of setting yourself up for success like it's um you know, yes, if I want the piece of chocolate, it doesn't mean that I can't have the piece of chocolate, but more stopping and thinking about why do I want the chocolate? What's behind that chocolate and what's happening now that's making me reach for it? And if it's, I want the chocolate and it sounds delicious, okay, eat the chocolate. But if it's, okay, my, my kid was just stressing me out and now I'm having a moment of, I want to eat my feelings. Okay, what else could I do? Um, I guess that's more of my understanding of it now. Mm -hmm. And it could be again, completely off the, <laughs> off the wall there, but not off the yeah. wall there. I think there's some nuance in there. I think one of the, the big things that you've identified that's so important is that intuitive eating isn't eat everything all the time, always, which yeah. sometimes is the understanding, especially for people who've been very much in that world of like, really adhering to external plans and experts and, and, you know, um, nutritionism, like, like the minutia of nutrition, like people who've been very into that, mm -hmm. they often hear when they first hear about intuitive eating, that it's eat everything all the time. And so mm -hmm. the distinction that I typically make is it's not eat everything all the time. It's that all foods are allowed. So we stop okay. having an allowed list and a not allowed list a good list and a bad list. And don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean that we ignore that there are nutritional differences between food. What we're working to do with intuitive eating is to neutralize 
our emotional reaction to food. So it doesn't mean that there aren't foods that are out there that have different nutritional compositions. It doesn't mean that there are foods out there that might feel better in our bodies or worse in our bodies. Um, there might be amounts of foods that feel better to us at certain points in the day or week or month or year. Um, what this is really about is neutralizing our emotional reaction, our judgments, our biases, so that we can objectively be in our body and listen to what our body is asking for and listen when our body says, I'm hungry and listen when our body says, I'm full. And also the other piece of this, because one of the things that you said, this idea of like why I want something, intuitive eating can easily get turned into the hunger full diet when we believe that, or like the, this is right for my body or wrong for my body diet. When we get into this pattern of like, okay, but I'm listening to my body, but my body should never want a cookie when it's not hungry, or my body should never want a Twizzler, or, you know, I can't be intuitive eating because my physical body doesn't ever want that. So intuitive eating also validates and recognizes that we have a physical body that requires a certain kind of fuel to be running fairly well. But it also recognizes and validates that we also have mental emotional selves and that food is, as Ellen Satter puts it, biopsychosocial. And so it's just so much more complex. We aren't automobiles and we're not putting fuel into a car. We're not robots that we're powering up. We're complex human beings that have logical brains and emotions and cultural and social circumstances like we're in right now. We're in the midst of this Mm -hmm. coronavirus. Our social circumstances have changed. That affects the kind of foods we want to eat, the amount of food that we want to eat, um, the way that we're digesting or processing food, like recognizing that those things are all valid. And that as women in particular, I know you said you have a two-year-old, that there are also these other circumstances, these major hormonal shifts, these points where we're pregnant and we're growing a child and then we're birthing a child and we're potentially maybe feeding a child and then... Mm -hmm you know, dealing with the, the circumstances of being up all night with young babies and then recovery and maybe doing it again, right? That all of those things start to affect what our body wants. And so essentially what I'm saying, I'm kind of, you know, going off on a bit of a tangent here, but it's understanding that intuitive eating ultimately is, is the combination of two things, permission and discipline. But discipline is really different from what you've been used to. So discipline to you has been someone else tells me what to eat and how much to eat and I stick with it. Mm -hmm. Discipline in this circumstance is staying in touch with yourself. It's about doing the work to like quiet the external noise and the external food rules and actually get in touch with your body. And the permission is the permission to eat when you believe you want to eat. And again, it's a little bit messy at the beginning, right? Because sometimes people will get very upset about the fact that it feels messy in the beginning. It's scary, you know? And it's like, but I can't be, I'm not doing it right. And it's like, okay, you haven't been giving yourself permission and you haven't been in touch with your internal signals of hunger and fullness and appetite 
for a while. And so Mm -hmm. this is like a relearning process. And if you were learning a new language, or if you were learning to walk again, or you were learning to, you would allow it to be messy. There would be bumps and bruises. There would be missteps. And with intuitive eating, that happens. We eat too much sugar one day. We overeat. We undereat. We make mistakes. It's like motor control. I don't know if you if you did motor control in your training, but my undergrad is in kinesiology, right? And when we're laying down motor tracks, when children are doing it, it's so interesting because they, you know, each time they reach for a ball and they miss, they're laying down information until that motor control gets more and more precise and we can just reach for something and pick it up, right? Each time they reach and they overstep or they understep or whatever it is, they're laying down these tracks in their brain. And it's like, we have to do that all over again. It's relearning to eat. And so it (laughs) is messy. It is messy because just like that child that reaches for the ball and goes too far or stops too short, there are going to be these moments where, you know, oh, I think my body wants another cookie. My body does. And then you eat it and then you're like, oh, okay, well, that might've been one cookie too far. Or, you know, I think, I think I'm full. I think I'm full right now. And you stop. And then half an hour later, you're like, oh, I wasn't done at all. And so it's a little bit messy. It's a little bit vague. And we have to just approach it with a lot of compassion and a lot of willingness to understand that A, our body can make up for the mistakes that we make, and B, we can make up for the mistakes that we make. So if you're still hungry half an hour after you eat, you can eat again. You have the permission to do that as long as you're, you know, working yeah. to stay in touch with your body. So the goal, yeah. if I'm like, if we were just to summarize, I'd love you to do it actually. Like what you want most in this moment. So I've just opened up a little bit of a can of worms, but Mm -hmm. you came in here. It's like, I'm tired of this other stuff. It's affecting my family. It's affecting my children and how they eat. It's affecting how we eat together and our connection. I'm tired of it. I'm over it. I want to be done with it, but I'm scared. Here are Mm -hmm. the things I'm scared of. What would you say you want most right now? What's the biggest goal? Right now, what I want most is to be able to eat when I'm hungry and stop when I'm full. I, I want to be able to not worry about the foods that I'm choosing. And am I choosing too much? Am I choosing too little? Am I, you know, getting the right kinds of fruits and vegetables? Am I, you know, getting enough protein? Am I... Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I, I want to be able to go to the kitchen and throw together whatever sounds good because it sounds good and it feels good and eat what I want of it and be done when I'm full, when I'm satisfied. Yeah, we can do that. have to worry. So we can do that. There's going to be two things that we need to do and we're not going to be able to do it all in one session. You know, obviously I, okay. I, I often work with people for many, many sessions, but what we can do is lay the foundation for this and get you started and get you understanding the bigger framework and also get you doing some homework to move you towards this, right? Okay. If you want to be internal, what you're describing is being internally regulated. What you're saying is I want to just be able to listen to my body and trust Mm -hmm. that I'm going to be okay in listening to my body. And so there's two things that we need maybe more than two things. Well, I'll start with the two (laughs) things that are coming to mind and then I'm sure I'll think of more things. 
but the two, the two big things are starting to be able to identify when your brain is getting in the way of your body. Ellen, Ellen Satter calls this cognitive dissonance. In intuitive eating, they call it something else. I can't remember, but it's basically the fact that our brain has all of these food rules that we've absorbed along the way. And some of them make a bit of sense. And some of, if you're trying to control your weight and some of them make no sense, sometimes it's contradictory. Sometimes it's something that we, that we've misinterpreted even like the food rules that people will have in their brain are, it's just very interesting what starts to pop up. But what's tricky is it sounds like the truth and it sounds like something you should be following and it feels logical and reasonable to continue to follow it, even when it's interfering with what your body is asking for. Right. And, and it's even been sometimes manipulated. Like so many plans and diets will manipulate the fact that your body is asking for something and turn it into, um, you know, that discomfort that you're feeling into a reason to power through. Oh no, that's just your body detoxing, or that's just your body, you know, X, Y, Z. You know, in the diet, in this diet culture that we live in, it finds a way to turn, you know, even when our body starts to really scream for something into a reason Mm -hmm. to shove it down even more. And so the first piece of work is starting to like, it's this, this shift that has to happen out of the head and into the body. So out of that logical thinking mind and into the feeling body, it's shifting out of, and this is this is tricky. This isn't something that I'm pretending is going to be super easy. Like often, um, but it's good. It's good for us to talk about it right now because what will happen is, you know, you're, I can't remember a few months in to, to exploring this, but there are yeah. people who have been reading the books and listening to the podcasts and they know everything there is to know about intuitive eating, but they haven't made that shift that emotional shift into the physical body. And so they stay stuck in this place in between dieting Mm -hmm. and permission. And it doesn't feel good because it's what you're describing. It's that back and forth. It's that I'm trying to let go. This feels too scary. It feels too bad. Grab control. This, Mm -hmm. this feels exhausting. I can't do this anymore. Let go of control. You know, it's this pendulum. Uh It's that's continually swinging. And so that's one of the things we need to do is move you out of that. Like, logical, the brain knows best, the brain has this information, it's all correct, and get you make this emotional transition into your body so you can actually start to listen, right? You can't yeah. listen to what you can't hear. And then yeah. the second piece of it is um, another really big piece of this is managing the body shifts that you experience as you start tuning in. Because one of the most difficult parts of this work for someone in your position. And what I mean by your position is someone who has been on restrictive control plans with food Mm -hmm. and who has gotten results from it. Because I'll tell you, there are plenty of people, plenty of women that I work with who myself included, it was part of my experience, was being on paleo and doing whole 30s for years and not seeing my body shift. Mm-hmm. So there are plenty of people whose bodies are like, no thank you, right? Yeah. But what you're describing is that your body is still manipulatable, meaning that you can control your food and then your body, as long as you are in control, as long as you mm-hmm. are continually managing your food, you can, you can keep your body at a lower weight. 
So does that go away? Like that manipulatableness? <laughs> For some people, yeah. Yeah. For some people, not. One of the things that's the trickiest about all of this work is that everybody wants to think that weight is just this very easy to understand thing when the reality is, is that we know next to nothing about is particularly weight loss. Like we're understanding more about weight gain. Um, but weight loss is poorly understood by almost mm-hmm. everyone everywhere. It's complicated. It tends to be mm-hmm. highly genetically linked. Okay. So the way that we control our weight is highly genetically linked. And then we can disrupt homeostasis. We can disrupt that ability of our body to regulate the thermostat by Mm -hmm. controlling or restricting and or going the total opposite direction when there's other things that get in the way, right? Like whether it's medications Mm -hmm. or emotional situations or whatever it happens to be, or Mm -hmm. as a reaction to restriction, people will sometimes swing the other way. So our body is, it tends to be quite genetically controlled in terms of where that thermostat wants to land. And then we as humans with our brains love to jump in and think that we can just unendingly manipulate that homeostasis. And for some people, the weird thing is that they can. It is like some people can diet their whole lives, you know, and um, it, it might be taking a really big mental emotional tool but it's not necessarily showing in their physical body. And the opposite can be true. Someone can, there are people who have gone on one diet and then their weight jumps up, Mm -hmm. like way up right after. Most people fall somewhere in the middle where the reality is, is that if we are going to, um, if the ultimate goal is to live in peace and with freedom Mm -hmm. when it comes to food, that it is not unreasonable to expect that our weight may shift up a bit. Okay. That doesn't always There's happen enough. though. It doesn't yeah. always happen. It sometimes happens. The, the question is number one, why is that a bad thing? <laughs> like, yeah. if, if you eating the correct amount of food for your body so that your body is happy and your brain and your emotions are happy and you can live your life means that you're heavier. Why is that a bad thing? Um, you know, what I most want at the end of my work with people is for them to, to have this goal that you have was just to be able to eat peacefully and normally and to have a stable weight. That's a sign of mm-hmm. health. Yeah. Stable weight is a sign of health. Okay. Right? So yeah. yo-yoing is not a sign of health. Yeah. Spiraling down because of restriction or spiraling up because we've disrupted homeostasis into overeating, reactive eating patterns, that's, mm-hmm. a, that can be a problem too. You know, um, what we want to see is stable weight at the end of it, but this is big. Like you are going to this, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you these two little things that we have to do, which is really a whole lot of cultural deconditioning. Uh-huh. Which has taught us to believe that our body should be smaller and that being One of the things that stands out to me in your story is the idea that being fit looks a certain way. Yeah. (sighs) And I mean, that's really hard. The other aspect, okay, so there's like two more nuances that I'm going to throw into that. Like the, for the being fit looks a certain way. Yes. One in my brain, it kind of does. It it does. Uh Um, But then the other aspect of it is, you know, when I was, 
macro counting and, and managing everything that I was putting in, I was strong, you know, like I was making gains in the gym and I was getting my PRs and I was doing those things. And I'm definitely not that anymore. Um, not that I'm completely in the other direction, but I'm not feeling as strong as what I was when I was manipulating. So that's another aspect of, you know, me mentally and like trying to play with the, who am I supposed to be if I'm not this? Um, but then another little nuance into a big reason that I want to be able to eat what I, what my body needs is since having my youngest, um, I haven't gotten my, my menstrual cycle back yet. Yeah. Um, and I've been done nursing for at least 10 months. Um, and it's, I, I did have my hormones tested and I have very, very low progesterone. Um, my estrogen is pretty low too, but of course I'm considered estrogen dominant because it's higher than my progesterone. Yeah. Um, but so I, I feel like, um, you know, that's got to be part, I mean, yes, hormones from having a baby and all of the things, but there's gotta be something that I'm doing or not doing that is contributing to that hormonal structure, I guess, whatever mm -hmm. is going on in this my is, body. Yeah, this is so interesting to me. And these things are, uh, thanks for sharing. Okay. So there's a couple of things in here. The first thing that I think is really important to differentiate is this idea of health versus performance, because this comes in a lot with athletes, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting in this world that we live in, that when someone's an athlete, we automatically believe and think that everything they're, that they're doing is healthy. And I would like to suggest that when we get into extremes in any direction, that we're moving out of what's required for health and we're moving into spaces where there, we can actually be dysregulating certain aspects of our health. And you can choose to do that for an outcome. Like I was a cross country runner in university. I ran in a way and many of the runners, and I'm not saying the coach suggested this, he actually recommended much more moderate types of things. But those of us who were in that world to push performance would run in really obsessive ways. Mm -hmm. And that was not for our health. In fact, we suffered a lot of injury. We had to continually be maintaining and trying to manage our body because we were pushing our body to a limit. Now, as a human, you can decide to do that. You could yeah. decide as a CrossFitter to put your body through something to accomplish a feat, but to be very clear that that is different for many people, not all people, for some people that might be consistent with optimal health, but for many people, it pushes their body way out of optimal health in the same way that laying on a couch all day and never moving would push a body. Do you understand? Like extremes, yeah. again, in our brain, we tend to, oh, you're a cross country runner. So you're healthy. And in my mind, and again, I didn't have all of the vocabulary for it at the time, but I'm like, I don't think this is healthy. Like I am finishing a cross country race. I used to run five K's in like 18 minutes and my heart, it would feel like it had pounded so hard against my sternum that my sternum would feel bruised for days. Oh, wow. So I was 
Oh, wow. But when you're a runner, oh, you're healthy. Oh my God, you can run 5K that fast. Oh, you're so trained. You're so fit and trained. Yeah. What I would suggest is I was pushing my body. And again, there's a piece of it that felt great. Yeah. But at some point, if we start to notice that pushing our bodies into these spaces for performance is not consistent with the level of health that we want, we have yeah. to, we have to shift. Yeah. And it doesn't mean, again, there are going to be people who are in your gym who maybe for whatever reason, again, there are some people, I never want to be, say all or nothing. There are some people yeah. who can probably push their bodies and it is doesn't affect them negatively. It feels just mm. all good. But I would say that as someone who's been in the athletics world for a very, very, very long time, there is often a bit of a trade-off when we push yeah. our bodies that hard. But again, we could choose to do that. But what you're identifying is that you haven't hit your menstrual threshold yet with weight. And for women, that is a sign of health right? Okay. And there can be other yes. things playing into it. I, again, I don't want to say, you know, maybe if your thyroid is really off or if there was something else going on with your health, I would want to rule all of that out for sure. Okay. But women do have what's called a menstrual threshold, which is basically the weight at which your period will happily be regular. Okay. Assuming again, that there aren't other interfering circumstances. And that weight is wildly different in different women. We want to think that it's it related to BMI <laughs> and that it should be so simple to understand. But um, especially when there's been patterns of restriction, sometimes we have to go up and that doesn't mean we stay up, but sometimes we have to go higher in order for that, that period to return and be regular and then our body will regulate itself. It's like essentially saying, you know, I want to make sure that I have enough stores here to be safe. Like a safety well. feature. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so again, I don't just, especially because we're going to be, you know, sharing this with other people. I just want to make sure they understand, like, I would want to be sure it sounds like you are getting everything checked out and I would want to make sure mm -hmm. that there was nothing else interfering, but assuming that everything else is fine, then what mm -hmm. I would say is, that your body is saying, I need more weight in order to get this period back. And okay. that to me is a, is a sign of health. It's a, it's a marker. It's your body speaking yeah. to you, right? Yeah. And your body's saying, I, I could, I could have a little more. I could take a little more, you know? Okay. Even if it's just more food. I mean, it's just, it's hard to say until we started dabbling in, but I would say that uh -huh. to me, that is your body speaking to you and saying, I need more. And so, um, if you were to continue training, if you were to make that choice then, and, and not get your period back, then that's a choice. There's like a cost benefit choice to all of these things. Right. And it could affect your bone yeah. density long-term. It could affect, you know, it could affect a number of things mm -hmm. long-term. Um, but that's a choice that you can make. Yeah. To me, this work is always about um, empowering people to make choices as long as they fully understand what the choices are and yeah. that there is another option. And the other option, which for most women is not an option at all, is that your healthiest body might be a heavier body or your healthiest body may not have a six pack. Yep. Which is hard. I it's mean, hard. It's so hard. <laughs> it's hard to swallow that it's health, I mean, that's what we're fed is that health equals this look, you know, this might not be a six pack, but it definitely doesn't mean that you have 
squish on your stomach, you know, or extra on your legs or whatever. And it's health means that you look a certain way and trying to restructure. And it's constantly retelling myself that it's like health is not this image. It's health is inside. It's how I actually feel and everything within me internally, not necessarily how I look in the mirror. Oh yeah. It's so hard, especially when you're in a world where you work in a gym, but there is the the flip side to this though. The flip side is that when you give yourself permission to be a healthy fit person in whatever body you land in, Mm -hmm. you automatically give permission to every single other person in that gym to actually take care of themselves. Yeah. Like, whoa. Yeah. It makes me want to cry. It's so big. Mm -hmm. Like it's, but it's hard because I will admit that the reality of the world we live in is that when I was incredibly underweight and I was doing things that like, again, when I was pushing my body to the absolute limits, I was congratulated regularly Mm -hmm. for how fit and healthy I was. I am a hundred times healthier right now. My body's in better shape. I exercise, I would say, more regularly and in a more well-rounded way. Like I was just, mm-hmm. I was just pounding the pavement. Same motion, yeah. right? When you think about it, running, hours a day, same motion, same few muscles, like so mm-hmm. many issues with my mobility and my flexibility and my balance. And like, there were so many things that as a 20-year-old were off that now as yeah. a 40-year-old, are are amazing and and I'm never <laughs> no one uh-huh. ever stops me when I'm out running to be like wow <laughs> you are so fit and so you know <laughs> the reality is is that for those of us who are choosing to do what feels best to us in our bodies and in our lives and what we believe is the healthiest for us Um, because it feels the best to us, we're still a pretty small minority. And so the reality is Mm -hmm. that there there will be people who see you differently. And again, this Mm -hmm. is all of us assuming that weight is going to be gained. We don't even actually know because you haven't given yourself the full permission to just take care of yourself and see where your weight lands. That's what this work Mm -hmm. is. But we have to talk about the possibility of it because that's what tends to be scary. And if we don't just put it out there and throw it out there and open up the possibility, you're going to stay stuck in control and and letting it all go and never finding that middle ground, right? So Mm -hmm. this is all of us assuming that this is going to happen. It may not happen. But most women don't have a six-pack when they're just Mm -hmm. moderately taking care of themselves and doing what feels best in their life and body. And so there is, you know, the fact that there's a good chance that you will have some weight on your stomach because that is actually very common and normal for most women to have a belly. That's something that's fairly, it's not thought of as like healthy and fit, but it's very normal for many healthy fit Mm -hmm. women. So I lost, I kind of lost my train of thought, but I think that what I was just getting at there is that there are going to be people in your external world who see you differently. And so this, this 
piece of the puzzle, this allowing your weight to go where it's going to go, because essentially you're not really in control of it unless you're highly manipulating it, um, is going to be challenging because you need to make peace about it inside your body. And then you also need to understand that there might be information coming at you from the outside. Mm-hmm. A lot. And making, it, <laughs> and making a decision and a choice about what it is you want to be more loyal to. Do I want to be yep. more loyal to how I feel in my body and how I want to live my life and the example that I want to be for my kids? Or do I want to be more loyal to someone else's opinion, which quite frankly might be judgmental about weight today, but will probably be judgmental about something else tomorrow. Yep. I mean, just think back, like, mm-hmm. honestly, okay, I don't know if you can do this right in this moment. It might be a piece of the homework, but if you can be deeply honest with yourself, like when you were doing all the macros and controlling all the things, was life perfect? Did you feel like you weren't ever judged about anything? No, life was not perfect. I was, whether it was a real judgment or just a perceived judgment in my head, um, I, I still feel like there was always something that I wasn't good enough at or, you know, didn't, didn't do something well enough or right. Um, so it was, it was just a different a different thing, but it was still, there was still judgment there. You know, it was, whether it be a lift right or an off day in the gym that, oh, I, I didn't get my double unders or I, you know, whatever it might be. Um, or there's like, you could have had an eight pack instead of a six pack, you know, or you could have had yes. more defined Exa- delts or like, I don't know, I'm just making this up, but like t- it tends to be that there's always yep. one, one more level we could get to. And the thing is, it it wasn't always necessarily somebody else. It was like, even though I was extremely fit and extremely lean, I would still look in the mirror and see what I was, what I wanted gone. Mm-hmm. You know, like my my stomach was the flattest it's ever been, and I could still see stuff there that it was like, mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> right. You right. know, so it it wasn't even necessarily externally. It, it wasn't necessarily other people and putting judgment on me. It was me putting judgment on myself. Right. We internalize the cultural view and we apply it to ourselves. And and that yes. tends to be the last layer that goes, quite frankly. Right? Awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, like all, it's like all bad news. Just We're gonna, but I think it's good to, we have to, before we can actually start to shift any of this, we need to be aware of it. Right? Do we need yeah. to see what's happening? And again, I like this. I, I like to say this just getting more and more clear and honest about what is actually happening versus what our brain wants to tell us is happening. And what's beautiful is not all women have the experience of having the body that's quote unquote perfect or right. And so it's easy to continue to romanticize, but life would be better. The culture promises it to me. And I believe that it will be better if I get into that perfect body or Mm -hmm. women who had a perfect body quote unquote, culturally yeah. perfect body 20 years ago. And they're romanticizing how great everything was, but forgetting all of the things that they were going through at that time. This is all still very fresh for you. And so mm-hmm. keep that in your mind that body image is never actually about what our bodies are and always about how we're perceiving our bodies yeah. and how, the story that we're telling about our body. And that's why you can have bad body image and women do have bad body image at every size on the spectrum. Yeah. 
So I think, yeah. So I think that, you know, there's a lot more in here to discuss, but I feel like we're at this point where I hope you're starting to have a little bit of a feeling of the work that needs to get done. And we probably just Mm -hmm. need to like dive in. Yes. Is there anything else like before I start giving you homework or action items, is there anything else that you're like, Oh, we should talk about this? No, I think uh, we covered all of the the major things that I wanted to discuss. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So I'm going to give you two bits of homework and this is just the beginning. This is like peeling back the first layer on this. Um, but it's really going to be in line with those two sort of like threads or trains of work that I believe needs to happen. One is around food and one is around body image, right? Okay. So when it comes to food, you are beginning to get a feeling for what intuitive eating is. And what we talked about today is that it's this balance. It's this play between permission. So allowing yourself to want what you want, to be hungry for what you're hungry for, to consider all the foods, even if you don't eat them all and discipline of being in touch with your body. And For those that have not been in touch with their body for a very long time, one of the ways that I start to get them in tune with their body is to start scaling hunger regularly. Okay. So what that looks like is just thinking about hunger on a scale of zero to 10. Zero being not hungry at all. 10 being starving like hangry, low blood sugar, maybe you have a headache, you're irritable, it's off the charts hunger, okay? Okay. And I just want, without giving you really a whole lot more information, you can either set your phone. I'm someone that will, would just think about it regularly throughout the day, and so I would just scale it every time I thought about it. If you're someone who likes more structure, you could set an alarm on your phone for every hour or two hours, and every time it goes off, I just want you to try to scale it. Just try to tune in. Not to what your head is saying about what time of day it is or how many other macros you ate or whatever. And that will all be still going on. It will still be happening. It's just in that moment, I want you to try to turn down the volume on your brain and get into your body and take a couple of deep breaths. And where do I think I am on the scale? And essentially what we're doing is going through that process of recruiting that muscle. And I think, I think I've told this on the podcast before, but I feel like I just want to reiterate because I'm not sure why I think it's such a good analogy. But like when I first started doing Pilates, we would do these crazy C curls, like these just really crazy sit-ups where you like recruit every part of the ab muscle on the way up and down. And of course, you know, I had started, I started Pilates after my second baby. I hadn't like recruited an ab muscle in years, literally. <laughs> and so... I, um, you know, I would have to like, I'd have to cheat at certain parts. I'd be like, what? I don't even have an ab muscle there. Like I'd get to a certain point and I'd have to just use my hip flexors or I'd have to like use my arms or my back or what twist my way up, you know, I'd have to cheat. And I'd be like, I don't even, I don't get it. There's no muscle there, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and I, but I would just keep doing it and I would just keep doing it and I would get to the stuck points and I would try a little harder and I would cheat and I'd get up until eventually there was this day and I don't even know what happened or why it happened, but there was a day where all of a sudden I could feel the, the muscle or that part of the muscle and I could like pull myself up. 
It's like that moment where you're like, oh, there it is. I can Uh do that. But for a while, the tricky, crazy part is that it feels like you're doing nothing. Yeah. I'm doing nothing. What am I even what am I even doing? I'm doing nothing, right? But you are doing yeah. something because you're recruiting them. You're, you're, you know, again, this might be boring for other people listening, but like if you're in the fitness world and I was in kinesiology, there's a part of motor control that involves the brain's connection to that muscle. Like we have to yeah. build that before we can actually even start contracting the muscle. Is yeah. that brain muscle connection. And so that's essentially what we're doing with your internal signals is first step. We have to reconnect the brain to them. (laughs) And we do that by just doing it, by just bringing our awareness there by being like, Oh yeah, the clock doesn't tell me when I'm hungry or the number of macros that are left in my day. Tell me when I'm hungry, my body gets to tell me when I'm hungry. Oh, right. That in and of itself. Right. And Mm -hmm. you don't have to try to make a lot of changes, but because I'm sort of sending you off after one session, I'll say that you can, once you've done that for a little while, you can also start to be aware of like, when do I feed myself? What level, like once you start to be able to, to figure out the nuances of your hunger, how hungry am I when I actually feel, feed myself? How full do I feel when I stop eating? Do I feel satisfied? Like, okay, I'm full, but do I also feel satisfied? And so this is just basically building on um, getting you back in touch with those internal signals. And it takes a while. And at first you will feel like you're doing nothing. Okay. 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 And if the the mental noise is too much, I, I often will suggest like, first of all, just you don't have to do this every meal and every snack of every day, but when you're really trying to tune in just to sit down and, and take some nice deep breaths and really orient yourself to being in the present moment with food, you know, and with your hunger or with your signals, even if you're not eating, just like breathe and try to almost like a little bit of a meditative process before you check in. And Mm -hmm. a mantra sometimes helps. And a mantra is not about ignoring how challenging things are or pretending it's not happening. To me, an effective mantra is something that actually helps you quiet down your brain. So I don't know. So it can be something literally like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if this is working. All I know is that I need to try something different from what I've been doing. So just settle down for like 10 friggin' seconds brain so I can just see Mm -hmm. how my body feels. I like so it's that. not like <laughs> I'm good enough and I can feel it. Like if you don't feel it, you don't feel it, you know, but uh-huh. it's just about quieting your brain down long enough to actually get in touch with how I you like feel. And at the beginning you won't feel, but you know, like motor control, like children learning to use a pencil at first, you know, it's all over the place. And the more you do it and the more you practice it, the more fine tuned you get at being able to rate hunger. And then, you know, for lots of reasons that I can't totally get into today, after we start attending to hunger more regularly, then we can start to think about fullness and, and when we stop eating and, and all of those things. Okay. And then the second piece of your homework is going to revolve around body image. And I think that for you, one of the most powerful things is going to be looking for examples of women who are in the CrossFit world, who are gym owners, 
who compete in CrossFit games, who are strong and who don't necessarily have the leanest bodies. So women who are in a variety of sized and shaped bodies who are out there taking care of themselves. Or even in this case, I'm almost saying not just taking care of themselves, but like pushing themselves in athletic ways in like in the fitness world who are meeting incredible, hitting incredible fitness goals, even though they're not in a super thin, lean, quote unquote, like ripped body. Yeah. You need to see those examples because they exist and we tend to get tunnel visioned. And of course- the leaner ripped bodies tends to be what we're fed most of the time. But I think even more so when you get into specific like sectors of the fitness world, we get hyper-focused on one kind of body and we forget that. Um, so, so I would just say that the first thing is that's, that is one of the fastest ways to start to shift the way that you feel about your body is to see other people doing it in different size and shaped bodies. Okay. I can do that. So that's it. Those are your two bits of homework. Um, how does this feel overall? Good. Um, I think that, you know, it, it sounds simple enough. You know, the homework all sounds simple enough and doable. Um, I think I will probably set an alarm on my phone like every hour just to, hey, gauge, you know, where are you at on a zero to 10? Um, how are you feeling? Just until I get into that routine of thinking about it every time I think about food or every time, you know, every so often on my own. Um, so I think I both set an alarm on my phone. I think that'll help. Um, and even trying to take some time to clean up like my Instagram feed a little bit and mm. swapping out and looking for, you know, other types of athletes that are, you know, not what is necessarily deemed ideal, but, you know, body image wise, but are still killing it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, it all seems simple enough. Like, you know, as always simple, not easy, but. Yeah. Simple doesn't mean easy. (laughs) You're right. You're right. But um, the only way out is through. Right. And so Mm -hmm. the only way to get, to the other side of this is to actually just go through the mess of it. And it's not always so yeah. messy. I'm making it sound like it's so messy and it sometimes is, and it's sometimes not, you know, yeah. um, Linda Bacon has a quote in health at every size that like the degree to which we trust ourselves is the degree to like how hard this process is. Right. And the more faith yeah. and trust we have that like our bodies want to be well and our bodies want to want food that's good and our bodies want to feel energetic and fit and our bodies want to move. And the more that you trust that, the easier it is to move through this. The more doubt we have, the more things that have interfered in that natural wanting, um, the more challenging it is because we just believe that we will never, you know, eat another carrot or like do another deadlift if we're not forced by some external force. And so um, it's just another thing to keep in the back of your mind as you struggle through. It's like, where am I not trusting? What am I not believing in here? You know, it's a big question, but um, 
it just something to keep an eye on as you move through the process because it it's not easy. The concepts are simple. It's not easy, but perseverance, yeah. perseverance is, is as with almost everything, ultimately yeah. the key. Yeah. I feel like I need to write that quote down that it's my body wants to be healthy. Yeah. If I allow it, yes. to be, it wants to, it wants to get there. I've mm-hmm. seen it over and over and over and over again. And it's yeah. so, yeah, it's, it's amazing how much we think we have to control everything, but it's like, when you find out more about the body, it, it is so intricate and amazing that it's like, why would it not want to be healthy? Now mm-hmm. I just need to get out of my own way. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, yeah. And 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 the challenging part again is just letting go of the image of what the outcome should look like versus what the outcome should feel like. Yes. Yeah, that I think I'm going to have to do a lot of work on that. I loved that session and I hope you did too. Um, One of my favorite things that we got to talk about in that session, a concept that I think is really interesting is this idea um, about performance and peak performance and pushing our physical bodies to achieve maximum peak performance and how that might be consistent with optimal health, but for some people, how it might not be and how there is the possibility that pushing our body to its absolute limit when it comes to physical performance might actually require some sacrifices when it comes to the way that we eat or our relationship with food. And it may also eventually skew what we believe is normal for our body. It might set up unrealistic expectations of what our body should look like versus what our body could potentially look like when we're pushing it to its max. And it's important to recognize that because typically when people come to me, when they're ready to work with me and they want to do this work, it's often because they are so tired of pushing their body and their relationship with food so far. And so being able to untangle these extreme moments from what's normal and moderate and healthy for our body is really important because it can be difficult to let go of the idea that that body at its at its absolute peak or its absolute um, extreme pushed endpoint um, is not our natural state. It can be difficult to believe that when we've been there. So anyway, that was just a concept that I really loved and I thought was really, really, really important in that episode. I hope you enjoyed. Again, I'd love to hear feedback on these episodes. This is all new for me. Um, And if you're interested in being on the show, if you are an individual struggling with your relationship with food and body, if you are a parent struggling with a child, if you're a professional who would like to incorporate more of this work into your work, but you're struggling with that, drop me an email, hello at foodfreedombodylove.com. And if it's a really good fit, I'll get you on the show. For everyone else, please rate and review on iTunes and share with everyone you know. Have a wonderful day.